Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Tonight, we're very honored to have with us a dear friend of ours, Ambassador David Friedman. Uh, most of you are aware Ambassador David Friedman with President Trump and the Trump administration uh, advanced such historic uh, movements in regard to U.S.-Israel relations, from the move of the embassy, um, declaration of sovereignty of the Golan Heights, so many things were done for Israel and for the Jewish people that literally we felt like we were in a dream living uh, modern day history. It's a great honor to have Ambassador Friedman with us. Welcome to World Prayer Network. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, Jim, Rosemary. It's great to see all of you again. And uh, uh, I really want to thank you all for your support over the last, uh, wow, it's been almost, I think, probably seven years now since we first met at, uh, was it the Mayflower Hotel uh, way back when, when uh, I was introduced to the uh, evangelical community. And, uh, you know, I just, I mean, your, your, your listeners probably know this already, but, you know, I, I'm not of the Christian faith, I'm the Jewish faith, but I find in, uh, in, in our in our faiths, your faith and mine, uh, so much in common, uh, so many important values that we share, so many important beliefs that we share. And um, and knowing that uh, going into the uh, Trump administration and, and what many people think was a pretty difficult job, uh, it gave me great, um, it really gave me great confidence and in, 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 in a sense of uh, purpose. So. Um, I hope I'm not embarrassing you, but thank you for uh, all your uh, tremendous support over the years, and I hope that our partnership will continue to really strengthen uh, the land of Israel, strengthen uh, God's covenant to the Jewish people, uh, that they will uh, that they will always be uh, in the land of Israel, and that uh, our faith continues to grow stronger. So it's great to be with you. Thank you. I think I've uh, many times referred to you, Ambassador, to other people, as you're one of my favorite of all the government leaders, and I'm not just saying this to blow smoke, I'm saying it because I've uh, we feel this way. Uh, your directness in your response, the integrity uh, with which you respond to us. There's no second guessing. We know exactly where, what the issues are and where you stand. The clarity of your communication pattern gives us great confidence in you. So uh, if we're allowed to have favorites, you you, you are one of those, sir. So, well, thank you. That being the case, I'll turn it back to Mario. <laughs> uh, also, um, for those of you that have uh, heard some of our broadcasts uh, with uh, uh, the ambassador, some of our meetings, his heart for God and how God has really uh, anointed you for such a time as this. There's absolutely no question since the first time we met you in that meeting with seven evangelical leaders of the United States uh, to get to greet you and meet you. Um, we just saw the hand of God o over you, over the Trump administration. There was no other explanation um, by far. And I don't think it's overstatement. What you, President Trump and the Trump administration did for Israel was greater than any other president in the history of our nation. Maybe you want to start there. I remember uh, a broadcast we did towards the end of the administration, uh, Ambassador, where I asked um, uh, one of your assistants to put together everything that the administration did for Israel. There must have been a hundred things. I didn't even know about half of what was done. Can you just share an overview of all those historic events? I, most of us know the big ones, but there was so much more that right. you all did in, in favor of Israel. Well, you know, the, the, the big ones, of course, were recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's eternal and undivided capital and moving our embassy there, recognizing um, Israeli uh, sovereignty over the Golan Heights, um, the Pompeo Doctrine, as it became uh, known, the reversal of uh, 50 years of State Department policy that um, that, that policy uh, said that the Jewish people have no right, no right to reside in um, in uh, Judea and Samaria, in, in the land of their biblical uh, heritage. Uh, we reversed that. Uh, we made it clear that that does not constitute a violation of international law. We, um, we opened up uh, trade in uh, Judea and Samaria by eliminating the requirement that if you were selling, you know, olive oil or 
or honey or or wine from that area. You had to label it, you know, made in West Bank, which immediately resulted in two thirds of the customers uh, of the retailers staying away because they wanted to get away from that uh, that unfortunate controversy. We now everything that's made there says made in Israel. Um, we uh, we allowed people in uh, in in Jerusalem to finally um, get get passports that say they were born in Israel. You know, for 18 years, this case was kind of in the Supreme Court of the United States, back up and down about whether or not if you were born in Jerusalem, you actually were born in Israel. And uh, we, we changed that. We, we we gave people who were born in Jerusalem, we gave them a country until uh, until us. Uh, they had a, they they lived in a city, but they didn't live in a country, according to the State Department. Um, we we traveled uh, extensively through um, Judea and Samaria. We I think I think most important I think like there, it's it's a long list. I'm not sure I even remember half the things on the list. It, you know if you, if you if you test me on it, I'll go back and you know I'll I'll, I'll come up with a longer list. But I think the main thing, uh, you know Mario, Jim, and Rosemary, the main thing is um, we believed in the um, we believed in, in biblical prophecy as it related to Israel. It, it wasn't just that we were, you know, uh, acting as as political figures, it wasn't just uh, that we were um, looking at this from the perspective of, you know, kind of the narrow issues that people focus. We we believed in the integrity of, of biblical prophecy. We we felt that was important to America, uh, not just to Israel. We felt that America needed to be uh, on the side of God. It needed to be on the side. Of 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 uh, actualizing uh, biblical prophecy to the extent we could, to the extent that we could facilitate the the the, the actualization of biblical prophecy in a way that was good for Israel and good for America and good for our national security. We wanted to do it. That that was actually a factor. You know, it, sometimes it wasn't the most important factor. It depends on on the circumstances. But we really thought that 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 mattered, and we thought it was good for America. That America would be would be blessed. America would be would be prosperous. America. Would be safe by um, by uh, actualizing uh, the word of God. Conversely, we thought that you know if America is going to fight with God, I mean that that's not going to end well. And so um, that that was something that you know I think guided us, guided many of us in the administration. I'll, I'll give you a um, you know what I think is sort of the best example. You know when we were considering whether or not to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital and move the embassy. We were being told by, you know, by a lot of people with distinguished security backgrounds, you know, the, the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of State um, and, and people uh, uh, inside the CIA who worked on this for 50 years, that if we did this, if we moved our embassy to Jerusalem, we would bring about um, a, a generation of irreconcilable conflict and unending war and lives were going to be lost. And um, and we didn't see it that way. But, you know, after we moved the embassy and there wasn't any violence, you know, people said to me, well, how are you so smart? You know, how did you know this? Like, how did you know that after doing all this, given how angry people were likely to be and how much opposition was, how did you know there wasn't going to be any violence? And I, my answer is, I, I didn't know. And I'm not that smart. And nobody's that smart because how do you know? that nowhere in the world, nowhere in the world, someone, God forbid, is going to take a hand grenade and throw it into a crowd, right? I mean, and if that would have happened anywhere, anywhere in the world, you know, from Pakistan to Morocco to America to, to, to Europe, I would have gotten a very uh, unhappy call from my boss, from the president. He would have said, you know, what'd you get me into here? Like, you know, this was supposed to go smoothly. Now, you know, people are dying, God forbid. And, and it would have been very, it, it would have set us back on all the other things that we did. So how did I know? The answer is I didn't know. What what did I know? Here's what I did know. What I did know is that you know the is that is is what the, is the words of the prophet Isaiah. Now the prophet Isaiah, you know his words with regard to the end state of peace are well known to everyone. Uh, they're written carved in stone on the wall alongside the United Nations. It's called the Isaiah Wall. It's the famous uh, verse that you know they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation or study war anymore. So that that people know that phrase people know. What what's not on the Isaiah wall and what's not you know uh, advertised is Isaiah's prescription for how do you get to that point. And all you have to do is read a couple of verses earlier in uh, in Isaiah chapter two. What does he say? He says that there will come a point 
um, when the nations of the world, not the Jewish people, the nations of the world will all come to Jerusalem. They will come to the mountain of God, they'll come to the Temple Mount, and they will say to God, we want to learn your ways and follow in your path. Why there? Isaiah answers, because out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem literally is the wellspring from which all our great values and wisdom comes from. So all the nations will come there. And once they get there, what will happen? God will resolve their differences. And only then, nation will not lift up sword against nation or study war anymore. So what, what Isaiah says, he says that the path through peace, the path for peace runs through Jerusalem, which is appropriate thing, right? Because Jerusalem literally means city of peace. Um, he, he, he's, now, how does a nation come to Jerusalem? Well, I mean, you can't all pick up and go at the same time, right? So a nation moves its presence to another country by moving its embassy. So what Isaiah was saying 2,800 years ago is that by the United States moving its embassy to Jerusalem, we will bring upon ourselves a period of peace. That's what Isaiah said 2,700 years ago. In 2018, when we were doing all this thing, you know, 99% of the media said, you know, we're going to start a war. There's going to be endless violence. There's going to be endless conflict. Um, who was right? You know, um, the, the pundits of 2018 or Isaiah 2,700 years ago? Well, we know that Isaiah was right because after we did all these things to align ourselves with Israel and to fulfill biblical prophecy and follow God's will as it relates to Israel, after we did all those things, we achieved the Abraham Accords, right? Normalization between Israel and five Muslim nations. Okay, the first time in a generation, in every single case, Israel did not give up an inch, a square inch of its God-given land in exchange for peace. So, you know, this this stuff is this stuff is very powerful. And, um, you know, in, in America, we, we live in a country where um, we certainly, um, uh, you know, have a, have a First Amendment where we, we don't establish a national religion. But we're also not a godless society. You know, I practiced law for 35 years. I went into the courtrooms all around the country. I tried lots of cases. There was never a courtroom where it didn't have the words, in God we trust. You know, so we're not a godless society. We can never become a godless society. And while, you know, God has given us the, the wisdom and, and the brain power to think for ourselves and to come up with the right approaches um, when we have challenges and problems, he's also given us, you know, a guidebook, you know, which is uh, to this day as relevant as it was the day it was written. And, you know, I, I tell everybody, you know, the Bible still sells 2,400 copies every hour. You know, it, it, it's important, it's meaningful. And the values of that Bible are the values upon which America was founded, the values upon which Israel was founded. And as we grow more and more untethered from those values, which I fear we are becoming, um, we, we have a, we're, we're, we're at risk uh, of no longer being a great nation. So um, I, I'm sorry for that long-winded answer, but that's sort of, that's sort of the, the way we perceive our role in the government. Uh, do what's best for America. Uh, and, and and don't pick a fight with God. I mean, those are, those are sort of the two, the two principal uh, uh, principal guideposts. Tremendous, thank you. Um, just following up, we were at a meeting uh, where you came in uh, by way of Zoom recently. With all that that you and the Trump administration accomplished vis-a-vis U.S.-Israel relations, you said um, when in when we're given another opportunity, hopefully in in, in uh, twenty four. Uh, to advance further uh, God's purposes for Israel and the United States. What's undone yet that needs to be addressed in terms of U.S.-Israel relations? Well, that's a great question. And um, yeah, yeah, we got we got a lot done. Uh, the way I looked at it was we uh, we, we tried to um, uh, solve as much of the unfinished uh, business from the Six-Day War as we could. So that, of course, took us to Jerusalem and to the Golan Heights. And then we focused on Judea and Samaria. Uh, Judea and Samaria remain undone. Now, here's here's the, the, the what I, when I when I got to when I got into government when I became the U.S. ambassador to Israel. Um, one of the first things I wanted to do was take a tour of Judea and Samaria. I, I'd been there many times before, but I wanted to do it as a diplomat. And the State Department said to me, "Under no circumstances are you to go there. It's outside of your jurisdiction." And I said, "Why not?" Well, they said it's not part of Israel. And I said, uh, Shiloh, Shiloh, as uh, we say in English, Bethel, um, the old city of Jerusalem, um, Bethlehem, Hebron, 
Rachel's tomb, the ark, the, the altar of Joshua, uh, Joseph's tomb. These are all, none of this is part of Israel. I thought Israel is the land of the Bible. I mean, these are the most important biblical sites in the world. Uh, what do you mean it's not part of Israel? They said, well, you know, there's this conflict over the West Bank. And, you know, I said, well, I don't, don't even use that word with me anymore, please. The West Bank is a, is a meaningless phrase. It, uh, it doesn't describe the territory. This is biblical Israel. And, I, and I'm not, and there's 500,000 Israelis that live there. And uh, with all due respect to the competing claims of, of others, um, I, I believe that as, as a legal matter, um, Israel has the best claim to this territory. And as a theological matter, there's no question that Israel has the best claim to this territory. And if I'm going to be a diplomat, you know, and try to solve problems, uh, I refuse to engage in this intentional self-imposed ignorance about the most politically sensitive part, sensitive part of Israel. So I just started started going there, and um, and and of course uh, um, I, I made it clear that you know when it comes to uh, this territory, I mean there, there are disputes. There, there are disputes lots of places around the world. We can try to resolve disputes, but um, there is no there is no pathway that is good for America, good for Israel, or good for the Palestinians who live there. There is no path that will bring peace and prosperity to this region other than Israel having sovereignty over its biblical homeland. I mean, that, that is the, the, the only way from every perspective, whether it's a theological perspective or a, just a kind of real politic, um, you know, commercial and security perspective, whatever it is, um, uh, what Israel cannot do is cede any of this territory um, to, 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 to a group of people who have, in the first instance, shown no willingness to live in peace with Israel, have shown, shown no capacity to self-govern in, in, in an appropriate way, in a non-corrupt way, but most importantly, that do not respect the, the biblical integrity of this land. I mean, there, there are places like, for example, Joseph's tomb, incredibly holy place, right? It's where, it's where you know, it's right in the middle of, uh, of Shem, uh, Shechem, however you pronounce it in English. Um, it's where Abraham came when he received the call from God to come to the land of Canaan. And it's where Joseph, his bones were brought back, coming out of the land of Egypt, were brought back to the same place. It's the complete cycle. It's the complete cycle of the book of Genesis of the Jewish people. So, um, you know, I resisted heavily this notion. but And, and it ended, you know, as I said, in the Pompeo Doctrine, where we, we did validate the rights of the Jewish people to live there. But we have this big open issue, you know, um, 90 5% of the world uh, believes uh, and, has, and has established policy that the Jewish people have no right to live in their biblical homeland. And um, the United States doesn't believe that anymore, but that's the view of, of the European Union, it's the Canada, the Brits, um, all over the world. So um, we, we have to, at the very least, we have to start educating um, people on what what's in this territory you know they think it's like just a, a strip of land like you know called the west bank where people just you know are fighting with each other and acts of terrorism are committed um it's it's so much more and and if i can i'd like to just share with you the the, the movie that i made that kind of that kind of uh, amplifies that can i can i give you please. a couple minutes <laughs> please so uh, beginning about 16 months ago um uh, I, I came up with the idea that we really need to um, show the world the biblical majesty of Judea and Samaria. You know, as I said, I mean, it's it's where Abraham first came when he got the call of God. It's where Joshua uh, first came when he brought the Jewish people, uh, brought the Jewish nation across the Jordan River in the Exodus from Egypt. It's where, you know, in Shiloh, it's where Samuel was born and where the tabernacle rested for 369 years. It's where I believe that Hannah taught the world how to pray. You know, you, you know that famous scene in the book of Samuel where, you know, Hannah is moving her lips, praying for a son. And no one, no one had ever done that before. Nobody had ever moved their lips in prayer. You know, normally you move your lips, you're, you're speaking, you're saying something loud. She's whispering. And it was so odd that the high priest, Ailey, the high priest, looked at her and thought she was drunk because she was moving her lips and wasn't speaking loudly. But that was that was really the origins of prayer. So this happened in, 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 in Shiloh. And in Bethel, the place where Jacob had his dream, 
of uh, a ladder going up to the heavens and angels going up and down where he received God's covenant that he become a great nation. You know, the Jerusalem, of course, the holiest city in the world. Um, the uh, I could speak about that for hours. But then, um, you know, um, Bethlehem, where King David was born, where Jesus uh, was born. Rachel's tomb, where, you know, the, Rachel is the only one of the matriarchs who is not at rest. You know, her, her sister Leah and uh, uh, Rebecca and Sarah are all buried in, in Hebron. But Sarah, but, but Rachel is buried on the, on the side of the road. And she's continuously crying for her children. And, you know, famous prophecy of Jeremiah to Rachel that, you know, God has heard your, your, your cries and you can stop crying. And, you know, your children will, will return from the land of their enemy and they will return to their borders. So that's Rachel's tomb. Uh, and Hebron, of course, where, in which Abraham purchased the burial place for his wife. And he was then buried there. And, you know, uh, uh, Isaac and Jacob and Rebecca and, and, and Leah. So all these places, I mean, these are the holiest biblical sites in the world. They are um, critical to the Jewish faith. They're critical to the Christian faith. I mean, there, 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 is the, we, there is the pilgrimage road from which was built in the time of Pontius Pilate, which we know with certainty. Jesus walked. There's the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I mean, this is just, you know, ground zero for the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. And all of this territory, all of this land uh, is territory where most of the world thinks the Jewish people have no right to be. They think the state of Israel has no right uh, to assert its sovereignty. And it's mostly born of ignorance, intentional, self-imposed ignorance, beginning with, with the State Department that I worked for. Um, be, you know, across the United Nations, uh, Europe, and elsewhere. So, um, so I went out and, and, and pitched this film to my friend Mac Crouch at the TBN, and uh, I said, why don't, "Why don't we do a film called Route 60, the Biblical Highway? All of these, all of these places, find themselves along a single road. It's called Route 60. It doesn't doesn't have that that name. No one really knows where it came from. I mean, it's." You know, somebody asked me, is it like Route 66? And I said, no, Route 66 goes from Chicago to uh, California. No, Route 60 is, is far holier. Maybe not as famous, but maybe it'll be just as famous in the future. <laughs> but Route, so we said, you know, Route 60, the biblical highway. We went along all these places. And I said to Matt, you know, I, I can speak as the, uh, uh, to, me, uh, to what this means to me as an observant Jew. Uh, my idea is why don't I bring along a, uh, a devout Christian who can then share his or her views about what it means, you know, from the Christian perspective. And he said, do you have any ideas? And I said, well, I can't think of anybody better than Mike Pompeo. And we went to Mike and the Mike agreed to do it. And so this, this film, Route 60, The Biblical Highway, is a 90-minute documentary uh, starring uh, Mike Pompeo and David Friedman as we go uh, all along this, this holy road and visit these sites. Many of these sites are places where um, I, I doubt anybody has, has been there. there sometimes, some of them are hard to get to from a security perspective. We were fortunate enough to have the help of both the, the U.S. and the Israeli governments in, in doing this. Some of them are really off on the, on the side of the road. I mean, uh, the altar of Joshua, the, the altar that Joshua built when he brought the Jewish nation across the Jordan. He, he, he fought with Jericho. He fought with the nation of Ai. He, he won his first battle, lost his second battle, and then he remembered the, the commandment in the book of Deuteronomy that when you come to the land of Israel, you go to this Mount Ebal and you build an altar and you, you know, you build it out of natural stones. Don't chop up the stones with metal because metal is an instrument of war. We don't want the stones uh, chopped up. You build them with natural stones. You write your own Ten Commandments and you, you lead the Jewish people, not just as a general, but you lead them as a Jewish nation uh, who are there to fulfill God's covenants. Uh, this altar on the side of the mountain, uh, there's no signs, there's no streets, there's nothing. I mean, really, really tough to get to. But we were there. We spent time there. We spent time with all these incredible biblical sites. And we didn't talk politics. You know, we didn't talk about, you know, what's the ultimate resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We didn't go there. Our, our goal in this film is that people should know what's there. They should understand the biblical holiness, the divinity, the majesty of the sites that are along this road and that they should just care about it. Care, you know, if, if you care about it, we're halfway home, you know, because so many people don't know about it and don't care about it. 
We just want people to care about it. And once we care about it, we can talk about, you know, what's the right, you know, end game for this, these sites. I mean, I, I firmly believe it's got to be Jewish sovereignty, but, but we have to understand first what's there. And so we have this film. It's going to be in about 1,500 theaters coming out on September the 18th and 19th. Uh, you can go to route60.movie, R-O-U-T-E, the number 60.movie. It's, uh, it's got the trailer, and it's also, you know, you, you, you press buy tickets, you type in your zip code, and the site will route you to the closest theater, and then you can buy your tickets and select your seats. So it's a very um, user-friendly uh, website, and we're hoping people will, will come in and, and watch this film and understand better the, the enormous uh, biblical uh, integrity of, of this holy land. Amazing. What an amazing project. I have a couple more questions, but I'd like to turn it over to Jim and Rosemary at this point for questions that they would have. We hear the reports back uh, when Harry Truman was going to affirm Israel in 1948 that nobody in the room supported him. He had to stand alone. And of course, he's a bit of a hero now uh, because of that. Can you describe, in my understanding, in the room with Donald Trump, as I understand it, there were only three of you saying, yes, move the embassy. And all the other advisors were saying, no, do not do that. That'd be disastrous. Can you take us inside that room that day before that incredibly important decision? Sure. So um, we, uh, the president uh, had been uh, saying for the last, um, for a few weeks prior to, I think it was November 27th of 2017 that we had this meeting, but he had been saying he wants to resolve this issue. He was getting a lot of uh, push on both sides of the issue, and he wanted to resolve it. And um, and we had spent you know weeks um, doing the diligence and doing the national security assessment and all the uh, all the things you do when you uh, make a decision of this impact. He uh, we were assembled in the uh, in the Situation Room, which is sort of the basement of the White House. Um, you had the uh, you had the National Security Advisor there. Uh, General McMaster, you had the Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis, the Secretary of State, then was uh, was Rex Tillerson. You had Mike Pence. You had uh, Mike Pompeo, who was then the head of the CIA. Um, you had uh, Nikki Haley on a, on a screen uh, coming from New York. And then you had a bunch of other people, probably four or five other people. I don't, to be honest with you, they didn't speak. And so I'm not, I'm not sure that they had anything, uh, uh, any real imp impact on it. But the, the main the main people on the, in the in the conversation, I would say, were Tillerson, Mattis, and me. The way the president kind of organized the discussion was, he said, "Look, I want, you know, I know David. He's a good lawyer. He was my lawyer on you know, a bunch of cases. He knows how to argue. Um, David, why don't you take the pro side of this thing and, and let's start with all the reasons not to do it, and then you'll respond one at a time." And so, you know, uh, Tillerson started first, gave a whole speech about how there was nothing in this for America. And um, uh, Israel liked us already anyway. They weren't going to like us anymore because we moved our embassy. And he um, uh, made a bunch of other arguments that, you know, some of them were actually factually incorrect. Um, Mattis uh, uh, got up and said, you know, I don't know what the big deal is about, about Jerusalem. You know, whenever I come to Israel, I go to Tel Aviv. I don't, I don't think Jerusalem's that big a deal to Israel. And I said to him, well, you know, um, is, is, our, is our capital in Virginia. And he says, no, what does that have to do with it? I said, well, when you go to Israel, you're going to meet the Israeli Defense Forces and their headquarters is in Tel Aviv, just like um, the Pentagon is located in Virginia. And if your theory is that, you know, wherever our Defense Forces are should be the capital, then we should move our capital in America to Virginia. And he said, uh, that's a pretty good point because that's, that's right. I think you're right about that. I said, look, yeah, Jerusalem has the Supreme Court, it has the Knesset, it has the House of the, of the President, the House of the Prime Minister, all the, the same analogs to Washington are in Jerusalem. He, he gave up on that point. Uh, Mike Pompeo said, look, I want to do this. Uh, he said, I have to tell you that everybody in the CIA, these people that I inherited from the CIA, you know, who've been looking at this forever, are dead set against it. You know, but, you know, but, but I, I, don't, I don't agree with them, but I, I do need to tell you that they're all against it. Um, and, and what really happened was the, you know, we, we went back and forth for a couple of hours. The president kind of said to me, all right, David, wrap it up. Give me your best argument, your best argument for moving our embassy. I said, look, this is, this is the will of the American people. 
This, uh, this passed uh, you know, by law in 1995 by overwhelming majorities in the House and the Senate. This is what America wants to happen. And you know, it's been neglected for 20 something years because of some you know, under, unarticulated view of national security. But, but here's, the, here's the bottom line, Mr. President. The world is watching right now and they're watching to see whether or not you are the person that you claim to be, which is a, you know, an independent thinker who's going to do the right thing, or whether you're a politician who just makes promises throughout his campaign and does something else. Now, if you don't move the embassy, okay, what would be the reason? Who are you afraid of? You're afraid of the Palestinians. You're afraid of the Jordanians. You're afraid of rogue nations. You're afraid. Of, what are you afraid of? Because if you don't move the embassy, you're, you're, that's an action exactly contrary to the persona and the image that got you elected president in the first place. Um, if you do move the embassy, what you're going to say is the United States stands with its allies. The United States will fulfill the will of the American people. The United States will stand with the will of God. The United States will do all these things and we will not flinch from threats from rogue nations or rogue actors. And you know what? When you do this, it's going to it's going to be a day of great celebration in Israel. It's going to be a great day of great celebration in America. It'll be a great celebration among all people of faith. But you know what also it's going to be? It's going to be something that's going to resonate in, in, in North Korea. It's going to resonate in Russia. It's going to resonate in Iran. Because all these countries are going to see that you're somebody that's not afraid of them and will keep uh, his promise and do the will of the American people. And, um, and he said to me, well, that has to be right. That has to, I can't think of any, I can't think of a better, that has to be right. And then he went on and he, and he made the decision. You know what's so interesting about it? Um, we didn't have any new wars during the Trump administration, right? We, you know, that, that strength, that, that showing of strength, that willingness to stand, keep a promise and stand, you know, with the right people um, really resonated all around the world. And people didn't mess with us. People didn't start with us. And um, uh, that it's it's uh, it really is a fulfillment uh, of the Isaiah was a very smart and prophetic man. You know, he, he really got this right a very long time ago. When you that, that's a remarkable story. I hope you have written that up, but it needs that needs to be in a movie, a dramatic presentation. That is high drama, what you have just and, and your speech. I mean, what you just shared right now is it, really stunning there. I know a lot of preachers, Mario and I know a lot of them, but very few preachers can preach with the eloquence you, you just marshaled. That's <laughs> People might not understand why, why, why during the Trump presidency, and here you are in your critical role as ambassador of the U.S. to, the, to Israel, why our State Department seems rogue from where the president is at. People do not grasp the notion of career bureaucrats who are in opposition of the one who's supposed to be their boss. Uh, well, you want to support about that so people can understand how could a State Department be so whacked different from its president? Well, this goes back, you know, generations. You know, uh, Harry Truman used to call the people in the State Department, used to call them the striped pants boys because they were like these kind of elites who went to, uh, you know, they go to Princeton or Harvard or whatever, and then they would you know, uh, joined the State Department. They, they travel around the world, you know, living uh, off of the government's dime. And um, uh, they, they just, everyone did what the last guy did. It was just sort of a club, very little free thinking. Now, look, uh, the State Department did everything they could to stop Harry Truman from uh, recognizing uh, the state of Israel, you know, 11 minutes after, uh, after uh, Ben-Gurion announced Israel's independence. They, they were shocked because they were, as soon as Israel announced its independence, they, they put together a huge offensive to get Truman not to recognize Israel. And then when they saw on the news that he had done it, they, they were just absolutely apoplectic. But, you know, look, they, they you know, this is a, these are some dark secrets in, in, about America. You know, back in 1945, um, Morgenthau, who was the Secretary of the Treasury, wrote a letter to, um, to Roosevelt, actually 1944, he wrote a letter to Roosevelt and he said, look, I, I just have to tell you this because no one else will. Um, there were so many opportunities we had over the last couple of years to save lives of Jews who were being murdered, you know, in the Nazi death camps. We could have bombed the tracks you know, to Auschwitz, uh, just would, would have slowed things down, you know, from, you know, 
100,000 Jews being killed a month to, uh, to maybe 5,000. We could have saved a lot of lives. The State Department was, 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 was opposed to us at every, at every step. And this is, this is the Secretary of the Treasury writing this to Roosevelt. So the State Department, you know, has a, um, a difficult history. Um, uh, back in, remember when Israel was formed, you know, in 1948, nobody, uh, America wouldn't sell them any arms. The, the Israeli, you know, army, you know, the first, you know, and, and I think this is kind of fascinating. The, in the 1948 war, who armed Israel? Czechoslovakia. That's where they bought all their arms from. They bought, you know, World War II surplus arms from Czechoslovakia, oddly enough, with the support of Stalin, who then became a great enemy of the Jewish people and of, of the whole world. But that's how Israel started in 1948. Now, you couldn't get arms from America until, until 1967. You know, the State Department thought Israel was just a losing venture. You know, the closer, the more you align, the more likely you're going to be on the losing side of history. So the, the first jets that were flown by Israel, you know, were, were mirages from, from France, of all places. So it took, it took a long time for America to get, its, get, its, get itself on the right side. And, 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 and listen, you know, a lot of the people that work in the State Department, especially in the Middle East thing, think that, you know, there's a Middle East bureau with 22 Arab countries and one Jewish country, right? So, you know, most of the diplomats, they go from country to country to country. Maybe, you know, they spend a year or two in Israel, but almost all their effort is spent in, uh, in, in you know, in these countries. Now, you know, a lot of them are becoming our friends now, but they weren't our friends, you know, back then. And, you know, there was a big challenge because, you know, we needed their oil. And the State Department was very much against doing anything that could jeopardize uh, Arab oil in the, you know, in the 1970s and the 1980s. Now, you know, if, of all the things President Trump has done, you know, and he's done a lot for Israel. But the one thing he did definitely does not get enough credit for is making America energy independent. Because, you know, when, when America is energy independent, it really has, there is no reason at all for it to even flinch about siding with Israel, because that's where it's, that's where, you know, Israel is, is so closely aligned with America. The, the, the absence of energy independence makes this, you know, a little bit more complicated, but Trump, he solved that problem, you know, and, you know, we could do whatever we thought was right, regardless of, you know, who happened to be, you know, uh, have some, some oil to sell us. The, 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 the loss of that um, is, is, you know, is, is maybe the biggest failure of, of many in the current administration. That, uh, I'm just eager for make sure you have all of this in print. Do you <laughs> in your in your uh, what what book is what are the books available that you have written? Well, I wrote a book called um, it's, it's the title is Sledgehammer: How Breaking with the Past Brought Peace to the Middle East. And uh, so, if you go on Amazon, Sledgehammer, you can you can buy my book. And I, I do share some of these things. Um, uh, I didn't speak about the Biden administration because I wrote the book before. Biden had a chance to make so many mistakes, but you'll you'll get a good sense, I think, from that book about what President Trump did and why his legacy as it relates to Israel is is unsurpassed. The website again for Route 60, which comes out September the 18th in 1500 theaters, Route 60 website is what? It's 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 Route60.movie, R-O-U-T-E, the number six zero dot movie. Mario? Uh Ambassador. Uh, you mentioned all of what's happened and what's seen where the direction we're going under the Biden administration vis-a-vis -vis Israel. Um, we are so concerned on so many fronts right now. Um, the economy, COVID mandates, uh, digital dollar, our border being invaded. It almost seems from our perspective that we don't have a real pulse of where is the Biden administration vis-a-vis -vis Israel or against Israel, part one, where are we now since um, you all are no longer in the White House? And number two, as evangelicals, you understand the support of our leadership in the United States. What can be done now, before 24, in terms of securing a stronger U.S.-Israel relation? Well, look, I, I, I think that um, I, I think Biden has has failed the U.S.-Israel relationship. I think, you know, when when we left office, um, there was a real tailwind uh, on, on that relationship, something of making it incredibly strong and prosperous for both countries. 
Um, <laughs> it, took, it took him a while to even, you know, use the words Abraham Accords. Um, he kind of reverted back to, to, you know, issues that really are far less relevant today in terms of advancing our, our national interests, you know, like issues relating to the to a two-state solution, which I think is a dead letter, and uh, you know, but but he just wanted to hang on that. Um, I think that uh, he's been uh, inexplicably hostile to uh, Netanyahu, even though he, you know, he he won the election fair and square, and he's been as loyal uh, a leader to the United States as anyone that's that's ever lived in a foreign country. Um, and uh, and and you know. The, the biggest thing I think you you make you you're you're exactly right about this and you know when America is is weak um, you know Israel is 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 by definition weak is weaker as well because so much of Israel's strength derives from the strong backing of the United States and whether it's you know Afghanistan or or the border or the economy or or or, 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 or silly COVID rules or all these social kind of woke issues that are just making everybody scratch their head um you know america is 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 in a tough place right now it's losing its way and that's very dangerous for america it's very dangerous for israel so um you know you saw uh what good leadership can do uh in terms of making america stronger uh and making israel uh uh stronger as well we've seen that i mean uh, you saw the movie right you saw what life was like from 2017 to 2021. Um, there, there is a, a policy, there are policies, there are strategies that make America better and make Israel better. And we have to return to those, but we only we can only return to those if we uh, prevail in an election. So, you know, uh, evangelical Christians have something that Jews don't have, uh, the, 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 the value of large numbers. And um, it, I think that, you know, it's important for evangelicals who care about this, care about this the way I do, care about this the way you do, to demand of their elected leaders um, that they uh, return. Uh, they don't have to, you know, the leaders, whoever they are, uh, if it's President Trump, God bless him, I've, you know, I've worked with him before, I know exactly you know, where, where we'll head, but whoever it is, we need to demand of our leaders uh, a return to the successful policies of the last administration, you don't have to make it up from scratch. It's it's all out there. You know the policy. We we we've, we've put the policies together. Um, we need to go and 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 make America you know stronger. We need to return uh, it to the Judeo-Christian values that made it a great nation in the first place. And part of that is uh, standing with Israel and making sure that Israel uh, will always uh, be the steward of its biblical homeland and uh, be able to um, actualize. The covenants uh, that were made by God to uh, to the patriarchs, a lot a lot to do, but but I think we all know how to get there. We just have to make sure we have the right leadership in place. My last question: um, Iran is either already or any moment will be nuclear capable. Um, if if Israel feels it needs to take a preemptive strike, and the, the and the U.S. resists. What will Israel do? Look, I think Israel um, will do what Israel needs to do. Um, it, it will have to balance um, the fallout, you know, from a preemptive strike uh, against all the the diplomatic and um, and political issues that could arise. It's it's a complicated calculation, but at the end of the day, Israel will not um, permit a second Holocaust. You know, um, that the, the path to another Holocaust runs through an Iran nuclear weapon. And Israel, uh, if, if Israel exists for many reasons, but, but one of the reasons is to make sure there's never another Holocaust. And I believe that they, you know, right and left within the country, as much as the country is split, I think there is a uh, unanimity uh, and consensus on that. But having said all that, the, the, the way to avoid this in the first place, and I think there is a way to avoid it in the first place, is for there to be serious deterrence against Iran. Now, Iran does not believe, nor should it believe, that the United States is ever going to, you know, attack Iran. It's it's a shame because you know, uh, you know, uh, both Obama and uh, and Biden used to say we guarantee that Iran will never have a nuclear weapon. That's great. But how exactly are you going to 
uh, enforce that guarantee. And they never explained it. And I don't think it, it rings true. You know, the, the history is full of great powers making, making promises that they don't keep, including, you know, most tragically Ukraine, when they all convinced Ukraine to give up their weapons and said, we're going to protect you. And then they did. So, so, um, you know, I think that, uh, you got to be really careful. Israel has learned its lesson. It's never going to rely on a, on a naked promise from another country for its own security. But having said that, the way to avoid war in Iran is through deterrence. The way to achieve deterrence is for the United States to make sure that Israel has everything it needs uh, to preemptively uh, attack a, a, an Iranian nuclear weapon and that there is a, an understanding between the United States and Israel for Israel to act under certain circumstances. If we can put that together, um, the Iranians will understand that there's a huge consequence to what they're doing, and I believe they'll stand down. But but right now, um, you know, uh, the signals from America are, you know, we're, we're not going to get in the way of Iran. And on top of that, we're also going to get in the way of Israel protecting itself. So I think the signals are all messed up right now, um, and, and we need to get that fixed as well. And again, I, I have very little confidence that this will be uh, resolved in the current administration. Thank you so much. I want to go back to Jim and Rosemary. Before I do, please, um, for those, we want to encourage uh, our viewers to go register for the film, tell your friends about it, give us that information again. We'll put it on the website as far as the uh, link to purchase tickets uh, for the Route 60 movie. Rosemary? Um, Route 60, the biblical highway, it is the most important message that I feel that we're being given beginning this new year. Rosh Hashanah is coming up this weekend, and we're starting off after the year of Jubilee, a new seven-year cycle with a focus on the biblical heartland. This is the key place. When God came and visited his people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the first time, he focused on the Route 60, right through the mountains of Israel, and he is now coming again. He's coming again to visit his people and focusing on this very same area. In fact, we have a Route 60 here in the United States in Virginia. Our founding fathers also established a Route 60 uh, from in Virginia. But we have a combined destiny. And for 26 years, I've gone to the biblical heartland. I visited Shiloh. And our, our tour agency, Lipkin Tours, is located in Ophrah, right between Jerusalem and Shiloh. And we focus on this very area because it is the most important sites, the altars, the pillars, the visitations, the wells, where God made his covenant with the Jewish people and for the nations. So please, please, you can do something at this time by supporting the destiny and the mission that these two mighty men, like Joshua and Caleb, Mike Pompeo, and Ambassador Friedman, are carrying on the legacy and the heritage entrusted to them by God to bring the Lord's focus, his heart for this current moment in the, in the very land of Israel, in the very spots that are most significant to our day. So please see this movie. It is the least you can do to support Israel, to support the Jewish people, and to honor the name of the Lord and the sight of all nations. I just want to underscore uh, what she has said and what the ambassador has said. Do not ever use the term West Bank. There is no such thing as the West Bank. Use the terms Samaria, Judea and Samaria. Judea, south of Jerusalem. Samaria, primarily north of Jerusalem. Uh, and use the term Jewish sovereignty. Israel ought to have full and complete sovereignty over those two areas. Time doesn't permit us to go in to why it's not listed currently as Jewish sovereignty, but this belongs to the Jewish people. They don't occupy the land, they own it. And God was very, very clear on that one. So be one who speaks out. When you go to Israel, make sure you go. My favorite part, my favorite part is Shiloh, Bethel, Mount Gerizim, and getting to Joshua's altar. Now, it's a little hard to get to that last one. It's a little difficult, but you can get there by going to the movie. Or coming to my fest. You'll see, yeah. Now, Rosemary gets us there. 
uh, is not without some difficulty. But those are my my some of my favorite areas there. And then I just close with this this thought: the ambassador quoted, uh, cited Isaiah the Isaiah Wall, which is across First Avenue from the United Nations, which which tells that we'll we'll, we'll study war no more. And he walked into how is we're going to be we're going to be able to do that. But on the exact opposite corner, that's at the southwest corner. On the northeast corner, along the Hudson River, there is a statue there of a man pounding a sword into a plowshare. And that same scripture is there. Ironically, it was given to the United Nations by all countries, the USSR, the Soviet <laughs> Union, which is officially atheistic. And they gave it in 1959, the peak of the Cold War. Uh, but here they were, and not realizing, perhaps, that they were affirming the reality. We'll study no more war. People are going to stream up to Jerusalem, and they'll know the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, at, at that time. Now, that is on both sides, parametering the United Nations. That's the only hope uh, for the United Nations. Uh, Ambassador, thank you for being with us. Uh, Mario, anything you want to say before, before I direct people to go into a time of prayer? Uh, no, thank you so much, Ambassador. It's a real honor to have you with us. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Really enjoyed it. You, uh, you are you are a treat. You remain you remain in the circle of the favorites. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Take care, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.